0: All right, good morning, EBC. How are you guys doing? So good to see y'all. That is called getting busted, right? And the walk of shame. How many of you can relate to Denver, the guilty dog? You ever done something that you regret? You've maybe said something that you wish you wouldn't have said, you messed up in some kind of way. You wish you could go back and take something back and get a do-over. Anybody relate to that? I know that I certainly do. I've had some, I've had some doozies in my life as I know that many of you have as well. And how about anybody love game shows? I love game shows. And uh, one of my favorite game shows is this. I love Family Feud. I love whenever these families square off. And uh, especially uh, lately, you know, if you ever watch Steve Harvey's Hilarious, whatever you watch, the faces that he makes. If you don't know what Family Feud is, okay, this is what they do. Two families square off. They ask a question. They surveyed a bunch of people. To get the top answers, and on a recent one of these shows, this was the question: Name, uh, name something that comes after the word pork. Okay, we're going to play along. I want you to turn to the person next to you. You say your top answer. Go and do that right now. What is a word that comes after the word pork? All right. What were some of your answers? Okay, you've got, uh, you've got. The number one answer was chops, okay? Anybody get that one? Uh, You got pork rinds. I bet your answer, you got yeah, pork loin, pork butt, whatever, a pork shoulder, whatever it is, okay? I bet it was, your answer, although maybe it was, uh, wasn't what someone from the Brown family said, you know, where they get up there and they put their hand and he asks a question and he does that, and then you just spout off what you say. Well, one guy, his answer to what, name a word that comes after pork, his was cupine. His was cupine, I heard you get that, okay? <laughs> cupine, and the best part of Family Feud is whenever you see this look, okay? This is the look that you get right there. Whenever you give an answer that's not right. That's why I like watching that show is you see Steve Harvey's face or whatever. And, and he lost it. Steve Harvey lo- loses it. The families lose it. It is dumb answer that he gives. Even the guys like, I cannot believe that I said that. And you know, we probably all have these things that we've done or, or we've said in our lives. We relate to, to Denver, the guilty dog, or maybe we, we're going through life. Some of us, we're, we're going through life kind of with the walk of shame. And there's some things that maybe we've done in our past that we kind of regret. We wish we could get a clean slate. And and those are some lighthearted kind of examples. But I know for some of us, there's some things that seriously, whenever we look at some things that maybe we've experienced in our life, we have some deep regrets and we walk through life with some shame. We walk through the heaviness of a a lot of guilt in our lives. Maybe for you, it was the moment, if you're a parent, how many parents do we have? All right, any parents of teenagers? Raise your hands. Okay, Uh, maybe you're a teenager, they know the button to press they they set you off and and in that moment of of being angry you said some things that that really you wished you could take back and maybe there was some wounding that happened in that I know I've messed up in a big way at, at some point where I've uh, because I've, I've, I've had teenagers I have one right now and so maybe you've experienced that maybe you're the teenager though Maybe you've done some things that you really have brought some pain in your parents' lives and you've kind of carrying some guilt about that. Maybe for some of you, it was while you were at work and uh, people started talking bad about another person. You're a believer. You know we shouldn't participate in gossip, but instead instead of shutting it down, maybe you just kind of fueled it a little bit. And you said some things you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You walked away under conviction. You felt maybe some guilt over that. Maybe for you, you were on the internet, you were, you were just kind of minding your own business business, an image comes up and you know that it's not something you should be looking at. And instead of, of turning away from that, you click, you engage. The next thing you know, you went down a trail of some things that you shouldn't have been looking at. And, 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 we've, maybe you've messed up like that. I could go in a room this size. I could go down a whole incredible list that I think we all could relate to in one way or another. Eventually I'd probably land upon whatever it is, that's something that was in your life that was a mess up. And, and there was somewhere that you blew it, and, and you've been carrying maybe at some point, there's some people that, that, that they carry a guilt and they carry a shame in their life, and they can't seem to move past this. We can so often get stuck in this place of shame and stuck in a place of guilt, and, and there are a lot of different responses to that that we're going to talk about today. The truth of the matter is everyone here is messed up. And, and we've all blown it at some point, we've maybe tried to fix it in certain kinds of ways and we carry ourselves in a different way. How do we respond to these moments of brokenness in our lives? How do you respond when you got it wrong and you want to make something right? Well we're in this series called Broken Pieces and last week I, I took us down a trail of really working through this whole issue of bitterness and some resentments that maybe we can carry. Someone wounded us in some kind of way and it brought brokenness in our lives, And we talked about forgiveness last week, and we talked about moving through that. And I know that was a powerful moment for some of us. And we're going to continue in that path, maybe next week and in the coming weeks. But this week, I decided, in fact, I had a whole other message planned, but the Lord led me in a different direction. Because here is what I know. There are a lot of times that when we struggle with being unforgiving and maybe someone has wounded us and and we talked about grace and we talked about what forgiveness is and what it's not, many times for those of us who can't seem to move past grudges or we can't seem to move past some resentments and we carry those and we're, we're heavy with those kinds of things in our life, many times an ungracious person is often a person that is an ungraced kind of person where we haven't quite maybe understood God's grace in our own lives. And and so we don't maybe feel forgiven. And so we have a hard time forgiving other people. And so this is the direction we're going to go today. Uh, I felt like just in talking to people that I know that sometimes we get stuck with some unresolved guilt. And we carry ourselves, you know, with this weight of this guilt. It can be paralyzing for some of us. For some of you, you've not been able to move into some relational intimacy, maybe in your marriage or with some friends or whatever, because there's something that has has, has paralyzed you, maybe with some guilt or some resentment, some kind of brokenness from your past, something that maybe kind of haunts you today. And you've battled with this. What we're going to do in the next few minutes is I want to take a a look at at normally what a lot of us will do when we feel guilty, some things that we are prone to. Uh, I also want to talk for a few minutes about what God would like for us to do whenever we have wronged him or we have wronged someone else. How should we handle that? And then we're going to talk about how to be free from the guilt that many of us can carry in our lives. And that's going to be a freeing thing for some of you today. I don't have time to take you through the entirety of the story of King David. But if you know anything about his story, it's so powerful. You know that he, he really came from, from nothing. He had a group of brothers who were all ahead of him. He was kind of the runt of the litter, so to speak. And, uh, but he was anointed as the next king of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel, and he had the look of a king. But Saul had some brokenness in his life. If you know David's story, that you know that David eventually rises to the place from kind of nothing to this great place of power. But in that process, he goes through a lot of brokenness. He experiences betrayals. He experiences things that, w- that could potentially cause resentments in his life. Because Saul, on many occasions, who he served, tried to murder him. And so David was hurt. He spent time in the wilderness and God was working on him and developing his character. David eventually comes to a place of being the king of Israel. He's a mighty warrior. He is looked up to. And here is how he is described as a man after God's own heart. That is how David is described. And it's an incredible story when we read this, and I love the transparency of God's word when it shows us that now that he is ruling over Israel and all is well in his life, uh, that somewhere along the way, this man after God's own heart, what does he do? He gets off track. You know, every time I read that and David's story, it's a sobering thing for me because here's what I realized, that if David could mess up, what does that say about us? We are all prone to failure. There is not a one of us here that is not prone to messing up or regretting something we say or, or g- regretting an action that we take. And this is what happens with David. If you know, he's up on the roof of his palace. He should be off with his, with his fellow warriors at battle, but David stays back for some reason He's up on the palace uh, roof, and he's admiring his kingdom. I think some pride had begun to crept into David's heart, and he gets off track with this pride. He looks out, just innocently looking out over his kingdom, and he sees a beautiful woman who is naked on top of the roof who is bathing herself. You say, what is she doing up there? Well, she was most likely going through a religious purification for herself, and, and nobody else would have seen her except someone who was up on the top of the palace, and so she was in a place that she thought was private. She wasn't trying to seduce David. This is just what happened. David sees her and rather than, than, uh, than going away from this, David begins to engage down a path that you have to know David never thought he would have ended up on. He was a man after God's own heart. He sees her and he covets after her. She's a married woman. And rather than just saying, you know, I saw that, I need to to just move forward. said what David does is he begins to go down this path of sin that leads to an incredibly, incredible scandal that happens in his kingdom. This laundry list of sins, when you start looking at what David uh, began with and how it started, he started, right, with some pride. It ends up being some coveting and envy of something that he didn't possess and that he wanted for himself. He ends up abusing his power, which we hear a lot about today, right? He ends up committing adultery with Bathsheba. This ends up turning into lies because in that that time of joining with her, they conceive a child together out of wedlock. She's still married. David tries to cover this up. He starts with deceptions. He tries to get her husband Uriah drunk to cover this up, leading eventually, whenever Uriah, a man of integrity, would not succumb to this temptation, David ends up participating in the murder of one of his own men, a man after God's own heart. Wow. You need to know this, that after David did this, that he was under an incredible amount of guilt. But David would not come clean with God for some time. What did it take? It finally took a man who loved him, who came to him, Who said, who had the courage, because this was a life or death thing for a prophet named Nathan, who came to him, presented a story. Now David is covering up. David is entering into hypocrisy. He is running from God. His fellowship with God is messed up. Some of you, maybe you've been in that place. I know that I have. And David did this thing that he never thought that he would do. And David ends up coming to a place of great guilt and shame. Whenever Nathan, the prophet, finally says, David, the one that I'm talking about is you. You're guilty, and David is broken. He stays in this place of brokenness for a period of time. He wrote many Psalms about what this guilt did to him and how it weighted him down. I want you to see some things that David did when the shame that was in his life. This is what many of us will do. Here's what David did. We will try to bury it. David tried to bury this. We try to cover it up. We try to hide things. We don't want to come clean with God. We think that if we bury it, out of sight, out of mind, we'll just move forward. But here is the problem with burying it. It's like a zombie, right? It always comes back. And it emerges at a time when we really don't want to think about it or deal with it. It won't stay buried. This past thing, whatever that thing might be for you, it always finds its way back into our lives. We think it's gone, but if we haven't dealt with it, it reemerges. Sometimes it could come through some dreams that you have. Maybe it's through some thoughts. Maybe you'll see something that makes you think of it. And all of a sudden, again, this heavy burden of guilt and weight is upon your shoulders again. We we would call this tormenting. We would call it the thing that haunts us." Sometimes people call it that. It's this thing that I can't seem to let go of. I can't move past. David wrote this in Psalm 32. We're going to be looking at a few different psalms that he wrote today, okay? And he said this. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, look at what he describes. My body wasted away. I groaned all day. Day and night, he's talking to God. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And I, will you read the next part with me? I stopped trying to what? Hide my guilt. He'd been burying it. We bury our guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt was gone. Here's how many of us will try to bury it. There's a number of ways that we can do this, and sometimes they're sequential. This is what happens. We start off by minimizing it. We may just say, you know what? It really wasn't that big of a deal, you know? But the reality is, just as I said last week, if it was sin, it is a big deal because our sins is why Jesus went to the cross. So it is a big deal. It's a big deal, okay? It, it, sin is a big deal. And, and so we will minimize. Sometimes we'll rationalize. This is us trying to justify, or we rationalize why I'm doing this right now, or why I did this, and we try to make ourselves feel better by rationalizing, and, well, everyone is doing this, and so, uh, so, or, or everyone did this, or I was just a kid, or a teenager, or whatever, or boys will be boys. We rationalize. And here's what we often will do also. We compromise. And we'll lower our standards and we'll start saying something that at one point we viewed as a sin in our life and we wouldn't have engaged in that. We will compromise and we'll lower our standards so that we don't maybe feel bad about it. We try to cope in so many different ways. So here's what we do when we compromise. This is what starts happening to our hearts. We desensitize. Our hearts start desensitizing towards sin. We're not really, we're not bothered by things that used to bother us. And so we, we continue down a path of sin. This is all of what was going on with David. All of these things happen. And, and here is what I think many of us do. And I know that I have experienced this. Whenever there's something that I'm trying to bury or escape from, I will anesthetize. You ever done that? Where I'm trying to numb out. I might self-medicate in some kind of way, maybe you do this. And for me, whenever I was struggling with some guilt and some shame over things, or I was stressed, or I'm a stress eater, and so I might eat and engage in gluttony. And I know we say, well, that's not a big deal. No, it became a very big deal in my life because I became a very big deal, okay? And, 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 and I wasn't taking care of my body. Or maybe for you, it's not food. Maybe your thing that you anesthetize with is alcohol. And you just try to bury it and you try to numb yourself out a little bit. Or maybe it's some kind of illicit drugs or maybe it's, maybe it's prescription drugs. It's a big thing that's happening with many people today with some pain medicine. We try to escape. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just binge watching because you can get so caught up in what's going on in, on a Netflix show for many hours that you just try to forget whatever it is that's bothering you. Anybody do that? (laughs) Okay. But yeah, this is something that we struggle with. Uh, For some of us, it's just staying busy. For some of us, whenever we feel guilty, this is a big driving force behind a lot of people who are workaholics workaholism is is another way to anesthetize. We try to escape. We're trying to just take our mind off of something that's bugging us or a brokenness that needs to be dealt with in our life. There are a number of ways that we do this. Do you know that you can even do that when you are doing a ministry? There are a lot of people that do ministries just to try to make themselves feel better and try to escape. They stay busy in church or busy in ministry, trying to run away from something that really just needs to be dealt with. It happens all the time. You know I know? I've done all these things. I've been a part of all of these kinds of things. I've, when I've tried to bury something that I needed to deal with, some of us will try to move away. I'll just move. I'll just change churches. I'll just go to where people don't know me. Here's the problem with that. That might be good for a little while, but whenever you bury something like this, it always finds its way of re-emerging. See, no matter where you move, the problem is this, you're still there. Are you with me? Which means that we need to deal with the issue. We need to make peace with whatever that is that has brought that brokenness in our lives. David wrote this. He may have at some point just been like, I'm the king. I'll say, I'll do. He had absolute power, whatever I do. But but he had to reckon with this scripture, people who conceal their sins will never prosper. The Bible says in other places that sin has this way of finding, it always finds itself out, right? Especially in this world of the digital age in which we live. I was kind of watching some of the NFL uh, draft a few weeks ago, and one of the things that I I heard in an article was some of these guys that got drafted, that, that the teams that are drafting them, they are going into all of their social media posts over many, many years, and they're looking at that, and some of these guys are having to come back and say, I'm really sorry I said that. <laughs> I'm really sorry I posted that. I'm really sorry that I, I was a kid, I said this. But my point is this, is that, is that when we bury things, and we don't deal with things, and we don't own up to things, it catches up. It catches up. So it, maybe, we don't, maybe we don't bury it. Maybe for us, our coping mechanism is we blame. This is another way that we deal with this. We deflect, we, we won't take ownership, we blame others, we lay it off, we make excuses on someone else. This story is as old as Adam and Eve because this is what happened in the book of Genesis whenever they messed up. Do you know that story? When they messed up, God said don't, I don't want you to sin because if you do it's gonna break our fellowship. They sinned and I guarantee you that when God came looking for them in their regular time of fellowship, I guarantee you it was Denver the guilty dog all over again. One of them was there. Did you like the part where he said to the the, the other dog, he said, and you let it happen. (laughs) You sat here and you let it happen, right? If you know the story of Adam and Eve, won't take much time here, but you know that they sin. God comes looking for them. God says, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to admit where he was. He had moved away from God. And what does Adam do? He doesn't say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. I blew it. What does Adam do? This woman! And then what does he do? That you gave me. He blames, he throws Eve under the bus with much quickness, doesn't he? And then he blames God. You God gave me a defective woman. I didn't get a choice in this woman. She was awesome whenever he first saw her, but now, right, you're the one that made her. We blame, this is so typical in our society today. We blame everybody else. Nobody wants to own things whenever we blow it, right? We have this sense of entitlement that, I mean, we we do this for our kids, we do it for everyone, right? We blame, but here's what the scripture says. This happens a lot. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then they're angry at the Lord. A lot of times I sit with folks and they're telling me things and again, I love them. I have, I have compassion for them because I've done a lot of the same things that they've done. I don't judge them. But sometimes people are mad at God and, and I can look back and hear them tell their story and I'm thinking, yeah, but there was a decision you made somewhere along the road that kind of, that kind of blew it. We, we blow it. We all mess up, okay? We're not immune to that. We bury it. We blame it. This is what a number of us do as well. It's another coping. We beat ourselves up. Many times we beat ourselves up so much, uh, the reason we do this is we're trying to make ourselves, we're trying to atone. We're trying to make ourselves feel a little better. So we will beat ourselves up in a number of ways. Subconsciously though, when we are beating ourselves up and we're not dealing with the shame or the guilt, what we're doing is we're taking it all internally. We're turning this inside. And I want you to know the scripture says it has an impact upon us in a number of ways. It impacts us spiritually. Our fellowship with God is messed up when we we won't deal with this. It ends up oftentimes impacting our relationships, right? It ends up impacting us mentally when we feel guilt, so much guilt and and, and so, so many times we can just, it can impact us with anxiety and with depression and things of that nature. But I want you to know it also can impact you physically. You know, there was a study that I saw that there were doctors, many doctors that said that there are a number of people who have inflamed their illnesses for two reasons. Number one, there are resentments that they are carrying, that they will not forgive and let go. They won't move past. So they're doing damage to themselves physically. And here's the other one. It's guilt that they carry. And they carry so much guilt. Listen to what Proverbs says, or excuse me, uh, to what David says in Psalms. He says this, because of your anger, my whole body is sick. It's sick. My health is, what's the word? Broken. Broken pieces. Because of my sins, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. You know why? You're not made to carry guilt. We're not made for that. We're not equipped for it. He goes on and he says, I am bent over, I am racked with pain all day long. I walk around filled with grief. Do you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like some depression. And I, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that all people who battle with depression, which I have, and I've been very clear about that. I'm not saying that, that there are times where there's a chemical thing that's going on in our brains, but there are also some times where it's not that. And there are times where we won't deal with some guilt. We won't deal with some resentments or whatever. And it catches up with us. He goes on, he says, I'm bent over, I'm racked with pain all day long. I walk around filled with grief. I think he's saying, I can't even get out of bed sometimes. A raging fever burns within me. My health is, there's the word again, what? Broken. And this is what happens when we don't properly deal with some some hurts or some guilt or some mess ups from our past. Here is Satan's strategy. You know what he'll do? He minimizes the temptation in the beginning. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then whenever we mess up, and we do, he maximizes it. And he comes to us. And he says, that's your identity now. That's every, and it it, it blows. He is masterful at minimizing and then maximizing. This leads to all kinds of broken pieces in our lives, brokenness, shame, all of these kinds of things. These are ways we typically deal with these things that are unhealthy, but there's a way that God would say, this is how I want you to deal with this. If you are carrying this guilt and this shame, God says, I wanna show you a pattern of how to begin to work through this, of how to be free. I, I want you to know the reason we're doing this series is we want you well. We want you whole. We want you free. We want your relationships to flourish. We want you to flourish in, in, in your spiritual relationship with God and with other people, right? We want you to be well and whole and so does God. So here's how we begin to process this. If you have been dealing with some guilt and shame, here's what you do. God says we start by admitting it. We admit it. We move out of this place of denial where a lot of us will stay. We stay in denial, we won't admit things and we, we deflect and we blame. This is the first step in any kind of recovery, in any kind of recovery, whatever it may be, the first step is acknowledging that there's a problem. It's admitting it. It's getting right with God. It's saying, God, I'm not gonna ignore this. I'm not gonna run from this. I'm not gonna blame. I'm gonna take responsibilities. You're saying, you're coming before God and you're saying, God, I blew it. I messed up. I really want to I, I stop deceiving myself. Listen to this. If you, if you don't stop deceiving yourself, you're going to continue to defeat yourself. You self-sabotage when we won't come clean. David confronted by Nathan was, until that point, he was miserable. These Psalms speak so clearly of this. He was living in denial. He justified, rationalized, became desensitized to it. He anesthetized. He finally comes to a breaking point. And what I'm hoping and praying is that for some of us who have been battling with this, maybe today's your breaking point. And I don't say that in a bad way. This is a good thing. When you finally hit kind of rock bottom and you come to the place of saying, God, I'm ready to do business with you. He comes to a breaking point. You know what's so beautiful about this is that whenever he is confronted by the prophet Nathan, what I want you to know, and you'll see in this next scripture is that God wasn't trying to condemn him and and was angry with him and trying to hurt him and punish him. God, and, and I want some of you to hear this. You've been in this place of guilt for a long time. God never stopped pursuing David because he loved him. He never stops pursuing you. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've blown it, no matter what way you blew it with your mouth or, your, you know, in something you said, he never stops pursuing. And so he gets to this place because God loves him. He's broken. Nathan confronts him, catches him in his hypocrisy, and he's busted Psalm 51 is what he writes, and this is what he says, have mercy on me, O God. Now look at what he says, because of your, what are the next words, unfailing love. In the Hebrew, that is this word hesed. We talked about it when we looked at the book of Ruth, it's a loyal, devoted, uh, unconditional, pursuing kind of love that God has for you and for me. He loves us in this manner. You you are going to have mercy on me because you've never stopped pursuing me, even when I didn't deserve it. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me. There it is. Day and night, here's where he's starting to own it. Against you and you alone, have I, it's not a word we like to use much today sinned. I sinned. I blew it. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. He's not blaming God. He's not blaming anyone else. For I was born a sinner. Yes. And from the moment my mother conceived me he's saying, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. God, I admit this to you. Do you know what this is called? Also a word we don't preach a lot on today and we should more. It's a beautiful word. It's called repentance. And sometimes the reason we we don't like to preach on repentance or, or you don't hear it a lot today is because there's been a misunderstanding of the word or maybe it's been made. Maybe sometimes people, when we talk about this, they feel more guilty. But here's the whole point. It's to engage in this, not to dredge it up, to bring more pain into your life. It's to deal with it so you can be done with it, to release it to God, And experience the grace that he offers us. It's a beautiful word. He stopped pretending that there wasn't anything wrong. I want to ask you, is there something that you've been pretending about? You've been living in denial. It's been eating you up, right? And you just need to You've been trying to bury it in some kind of way. You just need to deal with this. You know, I, I've shared this last week and I've shared it with you before. If you've been around here about 10, 10 years ago, I really was struggling and I, I entered into a period of darkness in my life. I was a pastor here uh, and it was just a very dark time for me. I finally realized that as people were coming to me and were saying, what's up with you? And I'd be like, what's up with you? You know? And I didn't want, I didn't, you ever been that way? And, uh, but I was real defensive. And, and and at that point, I realized this, I need to get get some help. I'm the guy that people come to to get help from. And I was battling with some pride, but I finally, I realized I need to go talk to somebody. So I did. I went and talked to a counselor. I'm not ashamed to say that because it was life changing for me. And here's what he said. He said, Bart, what I can kind of come to in this place is that you have some resentment. You're holding against some people. It's eating you up. It's leading to some depression that you're struggling with. And here's the other thing. There's some guilt that I hear in what you're saying. So here's what I want you to do. And I made this real. I wrote down on a piece of paper. He said, I want you to go write everything that you think anybody has ever done against you. Go write it down for your eyes only. Write it all down. And there's something that happens when you write it down instead of just thinking about it. I wrote it down. And he said, I want you to do this. I want you to get with God and I want you to forgive those offenses. What forgiveness is, is letting go. It is taking them off of your hook and putting them onto God's. And I wrote on that piece of paper, paid in full, and I burned it. And I was released. Do I have to come back to that because of resentments that are grudges? Yeah, I have to come back and I have to go, no, I let that go. Here's the other thing I did. He said, I want you to go write down all the things that I can clearly tell you're feeling guilty about. I want you to write it down and I want you to think about this. I also want you to write on here, paid in full and I burned it. And I began to experience a time of renewal and freedom that I had not felt in some period of time. And the fog of my depression, I praise God, began to lift for me. And some of us, that could be where we're at. You got to make this, you got to deal with this. And it's, it's not fun. It's, it's hard work. This series I told you would be hard because it's going to get real for some of you. And you got to get real with God. I want to encourage you this week to spend some time alone with him and maybe do what I did. And, and, and this is just you and God, but many of us, we won't slow down enough to actually deal with it. I challenge you to slow down this week and say, I'm going to get real with you, God. I'm going to admit this. I'm going to own this. Okay. Here's what we also do when we do it. We accept responsibility. We stop blaming, we own it, we call it owning it today. I'm not gonna say, well, they did this too. Let's not even worry about them. Let's just get real with God and let's own our part. All you can do really is what you had a part in to deal with uh, in the experience itself. You can't control other people. Psalm 51, this is what David does. He admits it. He starts to accept responsibility. God in that process began to bring a restoration that he wants to bring in your life if you're weighted down by guilt and shame. I want you to watch this video. It's a story of a very good friend of mine. He was in the last service, and he's starting to come and be a part of Eagles View Church. His name is Dave Lowe, and he tells a very transparent story, kind of like like David, King David, and he's going to admit some things, he owns some things, and God brought renewal in his heart. Watch this story.
1: My name is David Lowe, born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas, Halloween 1957. I think uh, I had a pretty normal childhood, family is moderately dysfunctional, I think that's a fair statement. I grew up and had a high school sweetheart, just like just about everybody did in high school. felt a lot of pressure after school to, to marry her, and I did. We lived together in marriage for about nine months. I just didn't have the feelings that I should have as a husband, and uh, she was also pregnant. So it gets tough. Uh i talked her into getting an abortion so I could leave the relationship clean, not have responsibility left behind. Little did I know. <laughs> And I'd put myself in quite a jail. Years passed, running wild. I got uh, married in 1982. Uh, Still married to the same girl. About 15 years in our marriage, we were having difficulties. At 38 years old, I began to dabble with methamphetamine. So after two years of that, and you know, losing my family and everything else, I went into uh, recovery. 60 days later, I came out clean. And uh, I knew something was still wrong inside of me that that program in itself didn't cure anything. So I checked into a church one day. The bricks didn't fall like I thought they would when I walked in. And uh, in the year 2000, I was baptized. I immediately began working in recovery ministry, in the ministry and water ministry. I think uh, the difficult part was, even though I was walking and felt like everything was going well, I had this uh, constant pain. and So um, I was watching on TV and there was a lady protesting uh, abortions. And she was the same one that earlier, decade earlier was, Protesting for abortion, so I was a little outraged at that whole thing, and I was looking at my children on the couch And something somebody was missing I don't know if it was a her or him I'll never know what color of their hair would have been or their eyes but Now that I have children That child became so important to me, and I hadn't dealt with it God was calling it back to me so I could deal with it. And even though it's painful, that part will always be in me. It's what brings me compassion for other people, to help other people, to do healing ministries. Not going back, not wanting to go back is the easiest thing to do. But going back and digging it up and dealing with it it is what God wants for us all. And with all that bad baggage and that rough stuff it's, it's, it 's uh, tough to explain how amazing God is at using our our trash <laughs> to make great things. He makes beautiful things
0: very powerful story. I love Dave Lowe, and I love Dave Lowe because I love his transparency and one of the things that I will tell you about him is that God has used him to help many people work through some of the brokenness that's been in their lives. We're gonna be starting a ministry called Making Peace With Your Past. It's gonna start in the month of June and we're very excited about this. And I've personally known many who have gone through this ministry and God has done a great work to release people from some of the things that they have been struggling with. And I see that Dave Lowe did some things. He admitted some things. He, He owned up to some things. But here's also what I know that he did and here's also what David did this is what we do. We ask for forgiveness. We come before God and we say, God, I'm sorry. And will you forgive me? And look at what David says. He says in Psalm 51, purify me from my sins. I will be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. For some of us, our joy has been gone because the burden of the shame has been so heavy. He said, Lord, you have, there's the word, broken me. Now let me rejoice. Now I want to rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That also translates your spirit of your holiness. Don't take it from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God wants you joyful. He wants you at peace. He doesn't want you going through life sour and and weighted down and, and guilty and shamed. God wants you free. He says, make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will turn to you. This is what I also love is that God never wants to waste our pain. Where we've messed up and we've blown it, a lot of times what God wants to do and will often do is some of those areas of our greatest brokenness. God will take those areas and use that to be your greatest ministry. And you minister to people in a way that only you could understand. Then I will teach these these folks your ways. Forgive me. Here's where he really is asking forgiveness. Forgive me for shedding blood. Forgive me, oh God. You're the God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer that. That's not what God is looking. It's for you to to come to church more or for you to give a bigger offering or for you to do this. Because if that's the reason we're doing this is to try to make ourselves right with God, David's saying that's not what does it. That's not how you get right with God. You don't want a burn offering. The sacrifice you desire, here's the word again, is a broken spirit. That's contrition. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Then you will be pleased. Then you will be pleased with our worship. That's what he's saying. Our worship when there's integrity, when there's brokenness there. When we're saying, God, I'm coming clean with you. I'm getting right with you. And this is such a powerful moment of promise that David is clinging to. What David is doing and what I urge us to do is he's going to the place of clinging on to the promises that we know of God's character. What do we know? God is slow to anger. God is, God is one who loves us. He's pursuing of us. I wanna say this because I know some of you have a hard time believing this. Do you know God is eager to forgive us? Eager to forgive us. He's not like wanting just with his arms crossed, I can't believe you. God is pursuing us because he wants us in this deep relationship with him that we're made for. David says, Psalms 32, I confess my sins. He's admitting it. I'm deeply sorry for what I've done. He's taking ownership. First John, here's your promise. There's so many biblical promises about what God offers to us when we come to him in this kind of heart. If we claim we have no sin, we're living in denial. We're only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is what, church? Faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from some of the wickedness in our lives. Is that what it says? All. You know how all translates? All. It's profound. I know. Oh, everything. You don't know what I've done though, Bart. You don't know. And you know what? I really don't need to know. tell me if you want, I won't judge you. But here's the thing, because Jesus died, the temple, the veil that was in the Holy of Holies was torn in two. And do you know that now we have direct access to God? You don't have to go through a priest or a pastor to get to God and talk to him. Amen. You have direct access, and so do I. You go to God today. Go to God with whatever it is that's been on your heart that you haven't been able to get past. Rely, remind God. You don't have to remind him because he's forgotten, but just say, God, you you said you're faithful and just to forgive. I come to you and I confess. Here's how Jesus forgives a repentant person. It's instant. He doesn't say to you, "Mm, let me think about it a little bit. I'll get back to you on that one. There's instant forgiveness. He forgives us completely. When he died for our sins, all of our sins were included on the cross, past, present, future. Colossians, I love the way the message reads in this. It says, when you were stuck, maybe that's you, in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. Here's what he says. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross of Christ. Amen. Folks, this is why grace is so amazing. It's scandalous. Repeatedly, this is how he forgives us. Repeatedly. Have you ever messed up on the same sin more than once? Do you know what I've done in those times? I've allowed the enemy to put a wedge between me and God when I've blown it and then I I feel embarrassed to come to God again and say, Father, I've blown it again. I'm messed up. And and, and I want you to know that is shame that the enemy uses to keep us out of making things right with God, right? I I like to think of myself as a pretty good dad. Um, I love my kids. There's not anything I wouldn't do for them. And I'm telling you, as a flawed father, and I know many of you are parents, as a flawed father, that if my child, when they blow it and they come to me, and it's even on something that they've messed up in the past, when there's brokenness there, and if Luke or Trinity came to me and was like, daddy, I messed up. I'm struggling so much right now. I'm telling you right now, I would never turn my child away. And I know that many of you are the same kind of parent right? And we have a perfect father that will never turn us away. When we talked about forgiveness last week, Peter said, how often should I forgive my offender? Should it be seven times? Remember, is it three strikes and you're out? Is it seven times and you're out? Is it 492 times or 491 times and you're out? Remember, 70 times seven. Here's the point. God is not gonna hold you to a higher standard than he has for himself. The point is not the amount of times. The point is God's grace is abounding and he forgives us and he loves us. And he, and he wants us restored because he wants us in this relationship with him. This is the kind of God that we serve. So he, he also forgives us freely. You can't bribe him. You can't bargain for it. You can't, you can't, and we will do this. God, if you'll just forgive me, I will do this for you. And you know, that's a pretty good thing, but that's not what makes you right with God. Because we're human, forgiveness is our greatest need. And because Christ died for us, forgiveness is his greatest gift. And he forgives us. As we close today, last week I introduced this whole uh, concept of what we're doing in this series. This is a tile that um, you're going to find outside on the front patio today. And you don't have to be a part of our church to participate in this. But what we're doing is last week we talked about the broken pieces and and some of the areas of forgiveness that we need to work through with other people. And maybe that's what it's going to be for you. What we're going to do with these tiles is we're going to take these tiles, we're going to write on the back of these what that might be. For you, it may be a guilt that you've carried or a shame that you haven't been able to get over and it's just been haunting you, whatever, maybe some kind of addiction that you're battling with, some kind of struggle. This is a moment between you and God. This isn't for my eyes or anybody else. This is for you and God. And you're going to take this and you're going to put it in a bag and there'll be folks outside to tell you what to do. And you're going to break the tile. It's going to be in broken pieces. And we have artists who are in our church who are going to take those broken pieces and they're not trying to look on what's on back. This is between you and God. And they're going to put them in a beautiful, a beautiful work of art that we're going to display later, because this is what God does. He takes our broken pieces and he makes beautiful things. Amen. And so that is how we're going to close this today. I want to give you this last, this last thing. For some of you, this is going to mean something big, okay? I cannot change the past. Some of us, we just want to control and we're trying to control. I cannot change the past. I can only accept the things that I cannot change. And here's what we do today. And ask God to help me let go and move forward. What I'm praying for many of you is today is gonna be a day of freedom for you. Can we just bow our heads before the Lord? We're gonna do a final song here. And in the final song, it is an invitation for all of you. I want you to know that Christ is calling you to him with whatever it is that is your baggage, whatever it is that has been the thing that you feel shame over or guilt or whatever that might be. Maybe you are a person that has never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and I hope today what you hear is that you have a God that loves you, made you for relationship. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can invite Him right now to be your Savior. Call upon Him today, admit your need for Him. Maybe you are a believer, but the joy of your life and your salvation has been absent for so long you can't even remember the last time you felt joyful or at peace. Today, God wants to restore joy into your life. He wants you to come to him. Jesus is calling us to come to him with whatever it is that's been broken in our lives. And in faith, we bring it to him. And we trust that God is gonna bring healing. For some of you, you just need to come clean with something. And God wants to forgive you. In this last song, You are more than welcome to stand and sing if you want. You can sit and you can do business with God. I want you to listen to the words of the song. And I just want you, maybe it's for you, it's just a time of prayer. So whether you stand or sit, doesn't matter to me. What I want you to do is I want you to get along with God. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and that, Lord, there's not anything in our lives that's too big or too great for your forgiveness. We embrace that today. Lord, may your grace, may your love wash over this group of people today. And Lord, we sing about the joy that you restore to our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.